Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, good evening, Canada. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC staring at four teenage girls who are not related, all hanging out together at the uh, at the beach that I'm uh, currently parked at. Well, isn't that interesting? Actually, uh, similar stories to here. I mean, not today, but yesterday being Easter Sunday. And by the way, hopefully all of you in Canada had a great Easter. Um a lot of neighbors had had company come to visit and same thing it's like hey i don't recognize those vehicles or those people walking into the house uh yeah it's come on people it was a bit of a problem out here in bc this weekend as well uh specifically the um bc ferries um uh they were like tons and tons of people heading over to vancouver island for the weekend and oh um, and we're eating grocery stores on uh the gulf islands which would be like gabriola uh salt spring uh those those there's several islands in the gulf islands plus the uh, vancouver island there were smaller grocery stores that were actually checking your id to make sure that you were actually from the island. And if you weren't, they will not serve you. Wow. Yeah. And um, and then here in the Okanagan, we had uh, lots of Alberta license plates this past weekend. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Which was a little disheartening. No, for sure that is. That's, uh, that is too bad. I mean, that's, well, I thought we were doing quite well. So, uh but I guess this is we're beginning week five of the the, the isolation uh, or self isolation, and I think people are seeing spring weather and they're starting to get a, a little antsy. So, but yeah, you know, we've gotta, gotta... we're we're still in the thick of things here. Um, I mean, we can't be just because BC's numbers have have improved dramatically does not mean that it's over, and. Um, and I think people, honestly, those people are, are selfish jerks and are not thinking about anybody but themselves. Um, it's, I mean, my, uh, my sister-in-law, um, when her and my mother-in-law came back from Florida uh, weeks ago, they, they flew to Montreal and they stayed in Montreal for uh, several, like for, well, three weeks or so, uh, self-quarantining. And um, and she lives in Toronto. And her husband drove out to Montreal to pick her up this past weekend. And the police stopped him at the Quebec border and oh. asked him, and, and asked him, where are you going? Why are you going? And when are you coming back? Oh, my and and it's and i mean that's that's where the uh provinces uh that's where what they need to do is make sure that people like 
BC should have had RCMP officers at the BC border this past weekend, knowing they were going to get an influx of people, and uh, and they should have they should have been there to to stop people from coming out here for the weekend. Yeah, I know it's a real shame that uh, people aren't. I guess they're like I say they're getting antsy, but they're getting too relaxed. And you're right, we're not through this yet. So uh, I actually want to introduce our our uh, coronavirus segment with a little. Uh, Wash our hands onto our elbows. These are the things, the things we know, we know. If people want to wear a mask, that is okay. These are the things, the things we know to prevent you from speaking moistly, speaking moistly. Speaking moistly. Should actually use that that tune for all of our segments. That 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 to me is going to be one of the biggest hits in the in the history of of auto tune. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly is better than Post Malone. <laughs> That's right. So, so anyway, checking <laughs> worldmeters info today for the uh, the latest coronavirus figures in Canada. And there are right now 25,000 reported cases of, of the coronavirus with 7,756 fatalities and, or no, sorry, 7,756 recoveries, 780 fatalities. That sounds much better. So we're dealing with uh, roughly 17,000 active cases. And our numbers are actually percentage-wise are staying about the same. 97% of these cases are considered mild. 3% considered serious or critical. So we're, we're doing our job here. We're still managing to keep, uh, keep the numbers very respectable, Canada. So uh, good job on you. Um, here in Saskatchewan, we've had all, our, our fourth fatality over the weekend. All four of the ones here in Saskatchewan have all been senior citizens. The latest one here has been a person in their 80s. All of them have had, as far as I know, all of them at any rate have had underlying conditions. So they may have died with coronavirus, but possibly not of coronavirus, but uh, they don't report those statistics, unfortunately. Yeah. No, that's what I've been hearing, is that non-coronavirus deaths are being reported as coronavirus deaths just because the person had coronavirus. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's just, that's really disingenuous for the health authorities to report that way. It's misleading at, at best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, having talked about the whole problems that we had just had this past weekend with with travelers, um, Elizabeth May today stood up in the House of Commons and uh, urged the government to declare or to enact the Emergencies Act because she said that. Uh, the premiers or, or that like because of what happened in BC that it was uh, you know a failure of the provincial government to deal with the the issues and um, that now we uh, and because different different parts or different provinces have different rules and all this kind of stuff and my MP stood up and said yeah but different 
provinces have different severity of of infections uh, of of uh, death rates, um, all of that. That you can't just have blanket um, blanket uh, uh, policies covering the entire the entire country um, because you're not going to have some. Because look at look at Quebec and and uh, Ontario. You can't be enacting policies under the Emergencies Act for the entire country based on what's happening in Toronto and Montreal. Well, exactly. Yeah. And that's, uh, well, I'm glad that Mr. Albus stood up and acknowledged that because it's just, I mean, I'm not surprised that Elizabeth May would suggest such a thing because, I mean, she is what I love to call a radical leftist at best. And, I mean, that's a great power grab, but a completely unnecessary one. When you look at the numbers, well, basically everywhere but Ontario and Quebec, where we are getting the handle on this. Yeah, and, and the thing with uh, the thing that, that really bugs me about her comments is that you've got to give the provinces an, a chance to rectify the problem. Because, I mean... The provinces kind of gave, like the BC government kind of gave the citizens the benefit of the doubt and hoped they would do the right thing. They didn't. I mean, for the most part, we did. But uh, a large, you know, a small percentage of people didn't. Well, the next long weekend, if we're still under quarantine, uh, they won't make the same mistake. Well, that, that, that's true, yeah, because, I mean, they will be publicly shamed, and obviously there's other repercussions. Now, the Toronto uh, police, and I believe it was just this past weekend or last week at any rate, were actually ticketing people who were out walking their dogs for failure to live up to quarantine. And I thought that was enough of an overreach. Can you imagine if the Emergencies Act was enacted in Ontario and Quebec? That's a disgusting overreach, actually. It is. Um, I I have seen. Uh, did you see the guy in L.A. who was kayaking by himself, and the Coast Guard pulled him off the water and arrested him? I did see that. Yeah, and I thought, okay, I mean, he's got social distancing down to a an art form, and they're sending the Coast yeah. Guard after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of. That's kind of crazy. And, what is it? and here in BC, and here in BC, uh, BC parks have shut down all the provincial parks, and uh, for many lakes, the provincial park is the only uh, boat launch. Oh, and yeah, so you're not going to be able to launch your boat at a number of lakes in uh, in the province here. Which oh to me is ridiculous because that is the ultimate in social distancing. Um, you go out on the boat with your family and you spend the day away from everybody. Well, yeah, exactly. So that's uh, that's just crazy as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I mean, I, I get that measures have to be in place, but I think that when bureaucrats enact a policy, they've really got to look at the bigger picture. And yeah. it's, it's never a one size fits all, but yet they always seem to want to stick that square peg in that round hole. Yeah. And it's bad enough. I mean, 
if they enacted the Emergencies Act, I mean, it's bad enough already that that policies are made in in the province to you know to uh, deal with problems that are in the larger cities, and it unfortunately covers the uh, the the uh, the smaller communities and the uh, uh, rural communities in the province as well. Never mind an Emergencies Act that is going to treat everybody as if they live in Toronto. Well, exactly. Yeah. And of course, you know, who would just love to have absolute power over our economy, our resources, et cetera. And I don't want that kind of power in his, nor in his cabinet's hands. Oh, for a second there, I thought you were talking about Elizabeth May, but, <laughs> <laughs> but... that would be scary too. Yes. Yeah. That would be scary. But, but I mean, it is, it, it's, He's already proven that he wants absolute power. He tried. He, he had, yeah. They they were hoping that the opposition parties would not read that bill. Yeah. Well, actually, that's actually the topic I want to get on to next is uh, I had sent you a list on the weekend of so many different, not only just attempted power grabs by Trudeau and his government, but also overreach and underreach by the federal government and i had to stop because the list was uh, an entire page long and i was just going off the top of my head and yeah and yeah you're right with the the spending bill sent out on a sunday evening to be discussed on a monday morning in parliament and yeah it's just it's a very good thing that the conservatives chose to read through that and see that the government wanted to seize absolute control and you know without oversight overspending for essentially 20 months yeah and so thankfully they backed off on that one but then i got to look to thinking more okay so there was that one which is attempted power grab snc lavalin was sneaking in the deferred prosecution agreement firing jody wilson raybould because she wouldn't play ball and having you know miss caesar chavon and miss philpot decide not to run again and or i guess miss philpot ran as an independent but you know, they quit the Liberal caucus, all of them. And, I mean, that created the scandal it created. Michael Wernick ended up losing his job, Gerald Butts. But, unfortunately, not Mr. Trudeau, because he had even more damage to do when he wanted to shut down pipeline projects by changing the rules midstream and arbitrarily deciding that Northern Gateway could not be completed and then moving the goalposts on the Trans Mountain expansion until finally they decided, oh, we're just going to buy it. And not build it, and I God, I mean, I'm already making that list. Oh, I, I get another list. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's uh, it's thankfully it's a minority government, and thankfully we have a really strong opposition. Although I do have to say, Andrew Shear through all of this has proven uh, that he wasn't ready to be a federal leader. Yeah, he has been quite underwhelming. And unfortunately, and I mean, yes, I have a man crush on this, this gentleman, but Pierre Polyev has shown he is a leader, but doesn't want the job. And it just, that, that actually makes my, my, my insides hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's, it's for me, it's really, it's frustrating, but totally understandable. Um, because I do know somebody who knows Mr. Polyev, and he said, no, it legitimately is 
he he wants to be there to see his kids grow up and if he was prime minister um or even just the leader of the official opposition it it just won't he he just won't be able to be there and um you ask anybody who was you know if you if you ever asked Stephen Harper I'm I'm guarantee you he'd say the same thing that he missed so much of his kids growing up yeah and I understand that and I, and I can appreciate that it's just a shame that when you see somebody who is would be so good for the job but well maybe yeah. when his kids are older he'll reconsider and at that time there'll there'll be another opportunity so well when he I mean he is he is a very uh talented guy a very smart guy incredibly well spoken and um i just it, it it is a shame that he doesn't want the job um because i think he would be fantastic in the job um yeah, but i am kind of i i myself am kind of on the dan albus bandwagon i mean i i hope he decides down the road that that he wants to run for the leadership as well. Cause he is, uh, he's great. If you ever watch any of his video, like any of the videos of him in the house of commons, you would be very impressed. Yeah. He is very good. I've actually, I follow him on Facebook and he does have a lot of really good things to say. Um, is, does he speak French at all or. Uh, he's learning. Like he, he takes okay. the, uh, he takes the French classes that are available to him uh, as an MP. So he does, uh, he is, he can speak some French. Um, I'm fluent in French, but, and, and so he's, he's not quite up to my level, but, but he's, uh, he's improving. Oh, that's good. So, uh, oh, good to know. At least there is there's some more potential out there. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, BC kind of, we, I mean, we just had our, one of our deadliest days in the coronavirus fight we had 11 deaths uh reported today oh my gosh um but uh but we didn't have a whole lot of new cases i think it's 40 new cases since saturday um and uh but most of those 11 cases were uh people in long-term care facilities like uh seniors seniors with with health problems that were in long-term long-term care facilities so, which seems to make up the bulk of BC's uh, deaths as it is. Right. Um, and that brings me to what has happened in uh, Ontario and Quebec with their seniors facilities. And it's absolutely horrifying what has happened out there. I did hear about the, the facility in Quebec and that was just absolutely despicable how, uh, 31 people passed away in that facility and it wasn't all due to, to uh, the coronavirus. No, it wasn't. Uh, as far as we know, only five of them were due to the coronavirus. There was 26 others that are under investigation and could lead to criminal charges. Yeah. And I hope they do. Yeah. I mean, and the, and then there was the one in Ontario uh, where the people operating the care facility uh, gave the employees the choice to stay or go and everybody left. And so the, so the government had to go in and take over the facility. Oh my God. Um, 
but the but the because it, it was a privately run facility but all the employees all the nurses all the care aides they all just packed up and left they abandoned the people in that facility oh and uh, as far as i'm concerned they should all be charged with abandonment um i'm sorry but you signed up for that job you signed up to work in the healthcare uh, industry where you will be dealing with infectious people and infectious diseases. You know that going in. Well, yeah, this, is what, this is what you got into the field for, was to look after sick people. And I'm sorry, but that is the same thing as a cop getting to a... Uh, coming, getting to an incident and the and the suspect has a gun and the cop just goes... I'm out of here and puts his gun and get badge down and walks away. That is the same thing. It is. Yep. And, or a firefighter getting to a fire and going, I'm not going in there and walking away. It is yep. the same thing. And it disgusts me. And I think every last one of those people should be charged with abandonment. They left them to fend for themselves. And those people are in no condition to fend for themselves. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you and I both have family members who are in seniors homes. So obviously this is going to be a bit more personal for us. But I mean, these people are neglecting their duty. And you're right. This is what you signed up for. So I mean, obviously the employer is going to be taking whatever measures they deem necessary to prevent infections because that's also the job of their, that's their business. That's, that's, that's what they do. So uh, this is absolute negligence is what it is. Absolutely. And, it, and it's criminal. I, I think they, they should all be charged. And, and with the one in Quebec, with the uh, 31 people that died in a, uh, I think it was a 10-day period, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what the hell is going on in our seniors' facilities? Well, exactly, yeah. And that is, that's shameful. I mean, that to me is going to be one of the biggest stains of this whole pandemic is situations like this. And I hope that this is going to be the only one, or at least the, the, the very worst case, but seniors homes seem to be getting hit fairly hard. And, and now it makes me wonder like, okay, so or you've seen the, the home in North Vancouver, was this a negligence issue as well? Or is this legitimately people getting sick? Like now that it's oh. always going to be in the back of my mind. Yeah. See, now the one in North Vancouver, I can I, I can honestly say to you, it is all COVID nineteen, okay. and there and and it's not due to negligence or anything. It just got into there early and before anybody knew what was really happening with this virus, and because that's where all the first cases were in BC, and all the first deaths were all in that in that care facility. So, right. um, but they, you know, I mean. It seems like out in Ontario and Quebec, the, the care facilities got hit way harder than they did in any any of the re rest of the country. I mean, it's like they're just getting annihilated out there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what's, uh, what's underlying in that, but... Well, I can tell you, I have, one of the reasons is, is that in BC, our care workers are only allowed to work in one facility and in other provinces, they uh, 
oftentimes split their duties between multiple care facilities. Oh, okay. Well, there that uh, that shed some light. Yeah, and in BC, they're not allowed to. They okay. work in one care. They work in one care facility, and that's it. Um, but in other provinces, they're allowed to work in multiple. Or actually, it, yeah, they're allowed to work in multiple care facilities, and most and, and a lot of workers do. And that's part of the problem is that it's spread that way. Right. Yeah. Well, that is a shame. Now, this was in the news, but something I still wanted uh, to talk about anyway. And we talked about it in our last show how judges were releasing violent criminals who were awaiting trial so that they could be protected from coronavirus. Well, in yeah. Toronto, that didn't go very well. The Toronto suburb of, I believe it was in Newmarket or maybe it was in Markham, where a gentleman who was released for a violent assault pending trial committed another violent assault on a police officer, a York Regional police officer, and actually caved his head in. So I thought, well... And this um, was... And this was after being released that's because, of COVID, yep. because of COVID-19? Exactly, yeah. So he wasn't uh, wasn't able to, to, to catch the virus in prison, but he was certainly able to keep the evil virus and took it out on a, on a police officer. And I don't know the whole story, but in the articles I read just said the police officer didn't even see it coming. So whether he was ambushed wow. or what happened, but yeah, the uh, he hit him so hard and he beat him senseless and literally caved in his skull. Unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, thank I mean, you this to is, the judges. That's great. I mean, this is, this is, this is insane. It is. I mean, these people lost their right to freedom. They gave it because up. They, because they couldn't live by the laws of our society. And okay. now what, what you think that because we're letting them out on COVID-19 because of COVID-19 that they're going to follow quarantine rules, go to hell. They're not going to do that. And this guy proved it. Well, this exactly. guy proved it. And that's what bugs me about our whole uh, rehabilitative justice system or legal system in the first place is that I think that the, the, the liberal activists and judges think that Oh, I mean, if if we just ask them not to not to do it, then they won't do it, and they'll just they'll just go and behave like everybody else. It's like not everybody needs a little tussle of the hair and uh, and a hug, and then they will be better again. Some people actually need to see some jail time or see consequences for their actions. And unfortunately, who suffered the consequences this time is that not only that poor police officer, but his family, who now has to deal with you know a severely injured family member, a dad possibly, husband son brother and uh and what's going to be the justice well, you know what's going to be the consequences for an already violent offender he's going to be told one more time don't you do that again or we'll tell you even louder next time all caps yeah and it, and here's the here's the irony and i mean the irony is so thick you could cut it with a knife they're letting these people these criminals out of jail early or pending trial uh, because they don't want to go into prison to possibly catch COVID-19, but they're threatening the rest of us with jail time. If we don't respect social distancing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry to laugh, but yes, I, 
I, I remember hearing that now that you bring it up and uh, it's, it's not funny, but it is funny because yeah, you, the law abiding citizen, don't you dare get within six feet of somebody or you're going to go to jail and we've made room for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just the most ridiculous thing I've, I've ever seen. I mean, like I, I really, I hope that we get through this pretty quick because I mean, it's, people are going to start losing their minds and it's I, I here here's one for you the canadian federation of independent business reported on the weekend that in the past five days they received five phone calls from small business owners talking about committing suicide yeah not surprised to hear that at all but they're not even a suicide hotline no, exactly. They're the, Canadian, they're the Federation of Independent Business. I mean, it's like because people were, you know, they're they're there to help small businesses and that. Um, they're they're a lobby group as well, like for the government, right? To for policy changes and that to for small businesses, and True. that's why that's what their job is. And yet, small business owners are calling them talking about suicide, and it's. I mean, I get it. I'm a small business owner myself. I get it. I mean, if my business was shut down for the past month, I would be, my business would be bankrupt at this point. No matter what help the government give, gave us or has yet to give us, because we have nobody, it has nobody's received any help in terms of small businesses at this point. Mm. Um, my, my, my company would be already bankrupt. And it's, uh, I mean, this can't go on for a whole lot longer. It just can't. I mean, it, people aren't going to make it. No, the not. cure is going to be worse than the disease. Well, and that's actually a very good way to put it. And we had followed an Ipsos poll. Well, we've been following them since the fall, talking about how many Canadians are going broke. And another one came out this past weekend. And now is the latest polling results. And, and bear in mind, we're always a week or so behind when these polls are released. 60% of Canadians are now anxious about their financial situation. And we'll do the math here. An additional 31% of Canadians uh, have essentially given up. They said, we can't pay our bills. So that's 91% of Canadians who are either anxious about not being able to pay their bills or flat out cannot pay their bills. I mean, if that's not putting some alarm bells into the government's ears, what the hell is it going to take? That's um, that's actually a lot worse than you and I predicted last week. It is, yeah. Wow. Like uh, we we knew that half of Canadians would be broke, but no, it's uh, yeah, thirty one percent have already said, "Yep, for sure we're broke," and sixty percent more are like, "I'm concerned, I'm gonna go broke." And I mean, that to me, that's past the breaking point. Wow. I have. Okay. That's even shocking to me, man. I thought I was being pessimistic. I thought I was being pessimistic, but holy. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's awful. And I mean, I've never agreed with the government's approach in the first place, but I have, you know, I'm able to understand that, now we're in this, we've got to see it through their way. But 
Yeah. Yeah. Go back to Pierre Polyev saying you we really we really need to unleash the private sector to allow them to start making money so that people can start making money. And, yeah. and, and even Pierre Polyev has said yes, we need to have government assistance now because of the situation that we're in. And Canada's largest um, segment of the economy, yes, that's the oil and gas sector, which is fully 10% of Canada's GDP, is the one sector where Justin Trudeau has, has dragged his feet and said, oh, well, yeah, we, we want to help um, when we get to it. Well, that's not good enough. You ha- actually have to have a plan to say that, hey, you know what? If you were Bombardier, we'd have you a check tomorrow. So how about get on it and, and uh, treat the oil and gas sector with the respect it deserves, you know, due to the, the size of contribution it makes to your economy. I actually think that Trudeau is going to use this as an opportunity to shut the oil industry down. I have heard some of the green activists, you know, calling for that, saying, well, what a great opportunity this would be to pursue the green renewables, you know, that continue to need government subsidies because they can't make money on their own. Oh, yeah, those ones. Yeah. I hope to God that doesn't happen, and not just because I live in the prairies where the oil business is big, but just because it would be so bad for Canada to have the third largest reserves of a product that the whole world needs, is using, and wants to buy, and have us say, no, no, we're going to leave that in the ground because that's the morally right thing to do. Like, give yeah. your head to shake, guys. Yeah, it's... Um... If he, like, I, I honestly do, I think that he's going to use this opportunity as a way to bankrupt the entire industry. He's going to help everybody except the oil industry. I do worry and, about that. Uh, and it's, I, I am, I hope like hell that isn't what is going to happen, but I just, I think that is what he's going to do. Well, I think that when they made, this was on my list that I sent you as well, when they made the secret deal with the Wet'suwet'en people and uh, no part of their their deal, which we still don't know any details of, not one no. part of the deal had to do with the Coastal Gas Lake Pipeline, which was the whole reason for the protests in the first place. So you've made some kind of a deal where there's obviously money involved, but you left the pipeline out of the deal. Like, uh, again, what the hell is going on in Ottawa? Yeah. No, it's it's kind of scary. I don't I don't know what I don't even know what. Uh, I mean the 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 things that have been going on lately have just been leaving me a little bit speechless. And I mean everybody knows that that's not normal for me. <laughs> no, I hear you. And I mean it's it's turning us into a bizarro world because I mean Alberta, who's at least all of for all my lifetime, has been very much a free enterprise kind of economy. Premier Jason Kenney has, has offered a $7 billion loan guarantee to TC Energy to uh, keep working on the, the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. And if it's getting that bad where the Alberta government is, is, has to guarantee money to a, an, well, an Alberta-based oil company to move oil, like there's, I don't have any words. Yeah, I mean... If you can turn the Alberta government into a socialist government, that's uh, that's impressive. It really is. And now there's, there's a lot of talk about implementing a, a provincial sales tax in Alberta to help balance the budget. And that's one thing. I mean, 
out there. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I was born and raised there. I know how uh, bitter a taste that puts in people's mouths. So if if that's a serious talk that's actually coming from Albertans and not just from the talking heads in academia, which I hope hope that's where it's coming from. But, I mean, still, that's just, uh, yeah, that just makes this a bizarro world, a complete bizarro world. See, here's the thing. Like, governments are going to use this as an opportunity to implement new taxes. Oh, yeah. And and that is the completely wrong thing to do at this point. And I think you're going to actually face a massive backlash from the people. Because we're going to be like, you know what? Financially, we are done. We are we are maxed out because of what we just went through. And now you want to put on another tax? Go at yourself. Well, exactly. And actually, uh, Catherine Swift had said something similar to that when uh, this past weekend she was interviewing with Roy Green. Um, Catherine Swift, for those who don't know, was a one-time president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and now leads a group called Working Canadians. And um, she had said that, oh, yeah, she says, when this is over, just watch for you know, some very punitive taxation. And I thought, I know she's right, but I just hate when she points it out that way, because, you know, when someone like her is saying it, that she knows that she's talking about and she probably even knows what's coming. Yeah. I mean, it scares the hell out of me what we're going to be facing when this is all over. Oh yeah. You and me both. Because not only are we going to be seeing bankruptcies and, Probably a, a spike in in uh, in um, drug abuse and drug overdoses, um, suicides, all of that. But we're also going to see. Yep. We're also going to see new taxes, and honestly, I don't know how my business will even survive new taxes because. I already work on small margins and it's like, if I have to raise my, my prices a lot more than uh, just so that I can pay a new tax and continue to uh, make a living for myself, because I'm not going to do this if I can't make a living for myself, well, exactly. there's no point. Right. And, and uh, uh, then uh, people aren't going to hire me if I have to raise my, my rates that much. And, well, it's, and everybody around you is going to have to raise their rates as well, which then just takes away more of the people's already very thin line of disposable income. Like it's just yeah. a vicious cycle. Yeah. And that's why I think I, that's why I think that some extreme measures are going to have to be taken such as, such as debt forgiveness. And I know, I know you are totally, uh, not on board with that at first, but and but I think you you're even coming around to that because I don't think that it's possible to get out of this without it. When you have ninety one percent of Canadians worried about even making their next bill or not even being able to pay their next bills, uh, the camel's back is about to break. It is. And yeah, I mean, I still am really hesitant about the idea of debt forgiveness, but there's really, I don't have a better option. So 
there's, I mean, something has to give. And unfortunately, you're right. That straw is already falling down on the camel's back. So we can't take anymore. And when the government comes in in the fall and hits us with some new taxes in their next fiscal update, the talking heads in Ottawa don't get it because they make good money and they continue to make good money. And there's a, a lot of MPs who are really good, but I think a lot more MPs who just aren't in touch with their regular constituents because they're used yeah. to talking to their donors, their party members. And a lot of MPs don't actually talk directly to their constituents. They, they have an assistant who goes and deals with constituent constituent issues. So they only see you at election time. So they don't actually understand your life or my life or my neighbor's life because I mean, and it's not even almost really their fault. Well, it's their fault for not getting more involved, but because they, yeah, they don't, they just don't get us because they don't see us. Yeah. And I, I actually, I wrote an email to my MP, Dan Albus, uh, about something that uh, I don't think that, I didn't think I would ever suggest, but I did suggest this and I wrote an, an email suggesting that um, because businesses like mine, which are seasonal, uh, we only have, you know, I, I have seven months to make enough money to support my family for 12 months mm. every year. So I have to work for a little bit over half, half money to last the whole year. And I suggested that because revenues are down, but they're not down enough to qualify for anything. Right? Like they're not down enough to qualify for the wage subsidy, but they're down enough that I'm not going to be able to save enough for, for winter. Right. And I suggested that seasonal, um, seasonal business owners should be able to qualify for EI for the winter this year for a one time, a one time only, uh, like for only for the one time, only this one winter, just to help us get through the winter because I don't qualify for any other help, but it's yeah. my business is down enough that I can't, I can't save enough to, to make it through oh. the winter. Yeah, Lewis, you're exactly right on making that point. Um, as for our audience, Tony here, we just had some technical difficulties. We lost our connection at my end, so I'll have to wrap the show up on my own here because I, well, my technological end ended up cutting Lewis off here. Uh, we were just about to wrap up the show up anyway, and that was actually a, just as good a spot as any to wrap it up. Um, to conclude what we were both saying is that the government, unfortunately, has to step in and fix this mess they've created. And they've really got to help the business community. And it's the business community that is making jobs for Canadians. And it's the business community that is suffering the most from bureaucrats that don't understand them. So we're going to wrap it up. We're going to leave it right there. So I want to thank you very much for joining us again today, Canada. You can certainly look forward to hearing a few more rants from us as the week goes on. 
And on behalf of Lewis in British Columbia, it is Tony here in Saskatchewan, and I want to thank you very much for joining us. Apologize for some of the technical issues we've had because the of people staying home. The 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 bandwidth and the sound waves here are rather full, lots of traffic, so we're having a bit of a harder time getting a clear message through. So thank you for sticking with us, and we will talk to you soon.